Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Geico presents Motorcycle Word of the Day. Today's word is gremlin. Is a gremlin an unknown and persistent mechanical issue? Or is it something large that gets caught in your teeth when you ride with your mouth open? As in... Man, I gotta stop singing 80s power ballads when I ride. Ugh, keep getting gremlins in my teeth. See? Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of February 10th, 2020. And if you are in the mood to watch players report to spring training, you are in love. Let's try that again. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's July 1st, 2020. And if you enjoy hearing about players reporting to spring training, you are in luck because it's spring training 2.0 and the Chicago White Sox are not arriving in Glendale but this time they are arriving in Chicago to start a three-week camp to quickly ramp up for a 60-game season. We'll discuss where Major League Baseball stands today with the recent coronavirus updates and players opting out of the 2020 season. And speaking of coronavirus, the virus has officially canceled the 2020 minor league baseball season. We have audio from the press conference with minor league baseball president Pat O'Connor about the immediate future for the league as it's pretty bleak right now. There is a realistic possibility that half of minor league baseball could fold due to revenue losses from the 2020 missed season. So how would this impact the White Sox? 
We'll discuss that later in the show, along with answering your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me as the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Welcome to Spring Training 2.0. Are you as excited as you were back in February when we had the first version of this episode? I am not, but uh, I noticed that you're eschewing summer camp. I will not call it summer camp. Is that because of the name itself or because of the branding, the camping world branding of summer camp that was a little bit too too soon to make it seem like it was organic and uh, a gallows humor attempt to put a fun spin on some weird circumstances? Well, okay, so you got to make money for any business. So I don't really have problem with Major League Baseball having, what is it again, Camping World? Yeah, Camping World, which I forgot was the sponsor of spring training. Okay. Yeah, so if they're the sponsor of spring training and they decide they want to fork over more money or Major League Baseball can keep more of their money with spring training stopping in its tracks and and canceling the second half, then that's fine. I just don't like to call it, hey, it's summer camp because it's like, supposed to have this fun spin to it and oh this is all fun everybody's reporting and it's not a fun time (laughs) okay yeah like i I wouldn't try to put a fun spin on this that's why i'm just calling it spring training 2.0 yeah i can see it i i kind of read summer camp with like a grim tone just like well this is what we got so that's why i I didn't uh, object to it as much but uh uh I'm, I don't have strong feelings on it either way, so I will call it uh, either one. If it if it's so if it bothers you calling it summer camp, I will call it uh, 2.0. I'll call it uh, respringing. I don't know, but it's uh, it's weird, yeah. And uh, it's hard to be you know. On one hand, it's nice uh, to have real baseball talk about, even if it's short lived, and maybe they don't make it you know all the way to you know the new opening day. But on the other hand, you know, I kind of feel like. Um, you know, to, to bring back Keith Law's book and, and talk about uh, behavioral um, economics and science of decision-making, there's some moral hazard involved in us being too excited about this because obviously it's in our best interest for baseball to commence, however it does, no matter the body count, because we will have content to talk about. And uh, that's one thing I'm slightly uncomfortable with. Like, I, I don't want to benefit in a unique way from other people's, uh, you know, when other people are being put, you know, in the line of, uh, you know, potentially contracting the coronavirus, not so much maybe the players, but even like the, uh, staffers on the older side, coaches, uh, team employees, like the twins have, uh, prevented their, uh, bullpen coach and one of their other coaches, major league mm-hmm. coaches from coming in because they're 68 and 66 years old. And when you think Don Cooper, 64, it's like, he's not the young, healthy guy who is, uh, you know, people talk about when they say that player should be fine. He, and he's just as exposed as anybody else. So, it's like I, I try to withhold my enthusiasm and excitement for that reason, just because, you know, should it all fail or, uh, you know, not work out or should have some disastrous effects, which I hope it doesn't, I don't want to be the one who was cheerleading it all along, just saying, oh, just, you know, throw these all these guys into uh, a pool and see what happens. And the Chicago Cubs pitching coach went on 670 to score on July 1st in the morning to share his story of suffering from coronavirus as he tested positive and it took him 30 days back in March to recover. And he's 38 years old. 
so even for the Chicago Cubs, I mean, their pitching coach has concern with everybody arriving back to camp and try to get the league started up again. So just continuing as far as the bad news. And again, we, we won't spend too much time on the bad news because I get it. It's impossible to avoid the recent headlines concerning as far as the corona out, uh, coronavirus outbreak. I mean, last week we talked about college football and what was going on down in LSU and with Clemson. Things are getting worse in Texas. Uh, Arizona now is having a 28.3 positive test rate uh, for coronavirus. That That's pretty scary. That goes back to when we first had this outbreak uh, in the country. And because of this, you have four major league players that have decided to opt out so far. And this could increase because teams are doing mandatory testing right now as players report to spring training 2.0. Uh, and those players are the Arizona Diamondbacks starting pitcher Mike Leake, uh, for the Washington Nationals Ryan Zimmerman, and starting pitcher Joe Ross, and for the Colorado Rockies Ian Desmond. By no stretch of the imagination, these four players are star players, but they are starting players, and they were going to be on the 26-man roster or the 28- or 30-man roster. They, they were going to be part of the starting roster for these three teams and and now the nationals Rockies and diamondbacks have to find someone else to, to fill that void uh, for their starting lineups. Uh, And Jim, again, we're going to get more testing. Uh, The general manager for the New York Yankees, Brian Cashman during his conference call with New York reporters uh, was very clear that major league baseball teams do not have to be transparent and announce which players have tested positive uh, so we'll ha- it'll be up to the reporters to figure out which players have been, uh, as the teams don't have to publicly say when players have been moved over to the coronavirus injured list. Do you foresee any more players opting out after the first week of camp with tests rolling in? Yeah, I can. Um, just because I think there's a, you know, whether it's a player has it, you know, contracts it or, and, and realize like, I just better, there's no point in me, uh, you know, self-isolating, then trying to get back on uh, on, on track uh, on a delayed training schedule, especially if you know, the player is actually feeling it, and not is not just like asymptomatic, but is actually, you know, dealing with some, you know, of the issues that uh, pertain to this, uh, you know, disease with the, uh, um, you know, with like lung capacity, blood clotting, you know, all, all stuff that's very important for athletes. Uh, you know, should a player be dealing with that the way, uh, uh, you know, the 30 day recovery versus just, you know, a few days off. I can imagine that player looking and saying like, well, that puts me to August before I can really get back up to training hundred percent. And by that point, uh, the season, you know, is already going to be halfway over by the time I'm ready. Is it worth it? Or should I just try to keep safe, keep other people safe and, uh, self-isolate at home and just prepare for 2021. I can see that. I can also see, you know, just, situations at home um you know just whether it's relatives uh family members uh you know friends uh community or just you know having some cases come up in the clubhouse next to them that makes them think a little bit harder about what their own situations are that uh just re-center the issue for some people so that's uh i i think uh yeah there's a a point a good point in not identifying who has uh, covid just because of you know hipaa and other stuff like that where you might have to make your own uh, conclusions as to who has it or reporters might have to suss it out. And even that might be a little bit creepy. Um, but when it comes to like the whole opting out thing, 
It was uh, Mark Zuckerman, who is a beat reporter for the Nationals. He wrote a piece saying that players don't owe anybody a reason. And, uh, you know, when it comes to fans, I think that's true. I think, you know, they might want to have a reason in line to talk to teammates about it or, uh, you know, their current team or future employers if they're going to be free agents and, and, you know, it comes down to desire or abilities or injuries or, or whatnot. You know, they might want to make sure they have, uh, you know, a reason they can support or feel comfortable defending if pressed on it. But, you know, when it comes to the fans and such, I think there's just so many considerations with this that are bigger than the individual themselves that uh, if they don't feel comfortable sharing it, uh, they shouldn't. And, and that's why I thought it was cool what Desmond uh, yeah, wrote, like a 10-post Instagram uh, post, uh, you know, outlining his decision-making, which comes not only down to coronavirus having a, a pregnant wife and small children, but also the you know, he's biracial, so uh, the recent racial unrest and baseball's problems retaining african-american talent and how it stems to youth baseball and how he sees an opportunity to get involved in youth baseball while he uh opts out of the season and that that was really a, a remarkable um you know, it's not really quite a speech but it's just a, a statement that he released and uh it, it was really cool to see that and you know if players want to share something that deep and profound and and, and thought-provoking then you know I, I certainly welcome that but if they're not up for it or don't feel comfortable with it or the people involved don't feel comfortable with it then you know that's something that should uh be respected no white Sox players have decided to opt out but again my thinking is jim for all 30 teams when you have the testing everybody reports to camp and you start kind of getting into rhythm as far as on-field drills, especially on July 3rd, I do wonder if some players will change their mind and say, you know, I am not comfortable with this setup. Because it's hard to know on how the setup is going to go, especially for all 30 teams, uh, until you get there and you're actually going through the motions. Some players and some teams uh, may do a really good job with this, Jim, and that will ease the concerns of some players. And then there's a situation like the Toronto Blue Jays, which are asking their players to report to their spring training facility right in the middle of the Florida coronavirus outbreak right now. Uh, And then everybody report here. And if we get the clearance from Canada, we'll take a charter flight to Toronto only if Canada clears us. So if you're on the Blue Jays right now, you've got no idea. Okay, you have no firm understanding of where you are going to be in the next three weeks. You could be in Florida or you could be in Toronto. And that causes some stresses as well of like, where am I sleeping? Do I have to rent two places right now? Or do I have to just get a you know temporary Airbnb? Again, I, I could see more players opting out uh, if things don't go well in the first week. Of spring training 2.0 but again for the chicago white Sox, no players have decided to opt out and there are no indications at the moment uh that will be the case so we have learned that the white Sox have announced 44 players that are going to be participating at spring training 2.0 uh there are some surprises that made the the 44 man uh as far as the 44 players invited to camp gym for me personally for pitchers Drew Anderson I don't know much about Drew Anderson so that's a name that caught my attention Jimmy Lambert will be part of camp I find that to be a good sign because again he's recovering from Tommy John and he was having a really good 2018 season before he got injured on the position player front I keep forgetting that Chelsea or Cuthbert is still around uh for the White Sox uh but also not making the list 
on the opposite of Jimmy Lambert is Jonathan Stever. Again, Jonathan Stever had a very good 2019 season for the White Sox down in the minor leagues, but he's not on the 44 player list. He could be on the 16-man taxi squad that they're building, uh, but we'll see. Uh, Daniel Polka was in part of the 44-man roster and also Sebi Savalo because typically teams carry more catchers for spring training 2.0 just to catch all of the pitchers. And right now the White Sox are rolling with Yasmani Grandal, James McCann, Zach Collins, and Yuri Mercedes uh, for the for spring training 2.0 at the moment for the 44 players. Um, again, they could add more players to the 16-player taxi squad, which we're still waiting to hear who will be on that squad and where that squad will be playing. We're assuming that the new draftees, Gary Crochet and Jared Kelly, will be part of that taxi squad so they can just get those reps in and start getting involved with the White Sox organization. Are there any surprises for you, Jim, when you look at the White Sox picking the 44 players reporting to Chicago? I, I think the, the the shape of the roster you mentioned, like having some guys who are non-roster invitees, kind of anonymous, like uh, you know Drew Anderson in particular. Um, you know he's somebody who stands out, and uh, you know it's cool seeing Cody Hoyer and Tyler Johnson on that list, just because uh, you know other forty-man roster relievers like Zach Birdie and Matt Foster who weren't really uh, in position to like make an impact or or change the complexion of the bullpen, you know, are not yet on that list. So that kind of points to me that oh, maybe Hoyer, if he looks as good as he did early in spring, could maybe break uh, camp with the White Sox and maybe adds a, you know, I don't think he'll get high leverage opportunities right out of the gate, but you know, he has a high leverage type arm that might be somebody worth watching in the early weeks and, and gives the bullpen, you know, another uh, plus arm that they didn't have, you know, for, for long stretches last year. Um, one one question I had, and I haven't seen answered yet in any of the reporting, is that when it comes to like non-roster invitees like you know Anderson and Cuthbert, uh, you know Delmonico and so forth, like if they are you know not included in the initial lists, like these initial um, you know rosters, are they free to go elsewhere? Like what's the terms of their control? You know if they can't be assigned anywhere, are they free to pursue opportunities with other clubs that come knocking, or are they still under? you know, NRI contracts with the Sox going forward. That might be one reason why they would keep somebody who interests them. Like a guy like Cuthbert, who has corner infield experience, especially third base. You know, he's somebody who, uh, you, know, aside, you know, after Danny Mendick, there isn't a whole lot of uh, left side of the infield depth in the system. So I could see the White Sox retaining him, especially the way he hits against the White Sox, or at least he's had big games. Um, but I guess overall, big picture from this list it seems like, um, you know, aside from like Hoyer and Johnson, and then Andrew Vaughn, I think, is a special case himself. You know, all of these guys have had major league experience, you know, even down to like uh, uh, Tyron Guerrero and Carson Fulmer, who are, you know, weaker links. And I wonder if that's part of it, too, is that, you know, for these, uh, you know, 60-man list or whatever, you know, I think the Mets have 50, the White Sox have 44. Um, if they're just focusing on guys who have been in the majors before to um, limit the amount of handholding that might have to go on for players getting their first taste in the majors and what that's all about. And, and, uh, you know, just the, you know, all, all the lifestyle stuff, like, you know, where do my bags go? Uh, you know, what's the per diem and so forth. Yeah. I just wonder if, uh, you know, previous experience and just, uh, uh, less, uh, you know, players who, you have an idea what, what happens when they get up to the major leagues. I wonder if that's a priority for some teams. Cause when you look at the list, you know, aside from Hoyer and Johnson, uh, just getting the list real quick. Yeah, it looks like, you know, if Andrew Vaughn, he's a, a separate case, but Luis Basabe is the only one who doesn't fit in that uh, role as having some 
major league experience or having a, a few cups of coffee under his belt uh, and, and to where being in the majors would be completely new for him. You know, that's a good, that's an interesting point you raised, Jim. It almost sounds like you're thinking that there's not enough time in the day for the White Sox to both help the new players get caught up to speed on life in the major leagues while also try to get and find answers on who's going to be part of their initial 30-man roster for opening day. Like, they don't have enough time to do both. So more of the focus is, is just having the veterans who know the drill already on getting ramped up for a season and then try to figure out which of those 14 players will not be on their opening day roster. Yeah, kind of like, you know, I'm looking at Ross Detweiler here versus somebody like Bernardo Flores, who is on the 40-man roster but left off the list. Like, if there's an emergency breaks out, they need one or two pitchers who can throw four to five innings. You know, would they pick Detweiler, who has been in the majors, who pitched for the White Sox last year, you know, had a couple moments in an otherwise uh, unremarkable at best uh, uh, stint, you know, versus somebody like Flores, who has not even been in AAA before and and just, uh, you know, hasn't experienced that, you know, much less hasn't, uh, you know, been in the majors at all. And this might, you know, for... Uh, having a better idea of, of how that player will fare in the majors. And also, you know, if he shows up to Chicago, he knows where he needs to go just for, um, you know, housing, stadium concerns, uniforms, et cetera. Just, you know, all that little stuff. Uh, Detweiler would be the guy who has a better idea of what he's doing. And, yeah, I'm also looking list. I didn't mention Dunning or Lambert, but there are injury cases. And I think uh, reps are very important for them going next year. So they're also in a separate case like Vaughn, where it's just more about reps. But like a guy like Andrew Romine, uh, journeyman infielder, also fills that left side of the infield uh, depth we're talking about. I, I think he's somebody who has been, he's kicked around the majors with uh, the Tigers and I believe the Angels. And, uh, you know, he's no stranger to the major league lifestyle. And, uh, appearing on short notice and uh, just handling himself that way. So that, that's what came to mind when looking at the shape of the roster and looking at you know all the other 4A types on other rosters. Like Trace Thompson is on the uh, Diamondbacks, <laughs> and if Trace Thompson were on the uh, White Sox, we'd wonder you know you know what are they doing? We know what Thompson is or what he what he can and can't do, and uh, the injuries he's had, the back problems. Why is he there? But I think you know for the Diamondbacks, they're like, well, he's a guy who. Uh, has been in the majors before with a couple different clubs. He won't be overwhelmed if he has to be called up and we need somebody to provide a week. And I think that's what jumped out to me when looking at this list. Well, that's kind of why I was surprised that Daniel Polka wasn't on the list. Like I get with Nicky Domonaco, I guess he can play left field and he can also play first base. So there's some position flexibility there, uh, you know, but for the White Sox, looking at the outfielders they have brought in, uh, there, there's some serious outfield depth concerns uh, you you have to hope that Luis Robert doesn't hurt himself in these first three weeks or this outfield situation could get really ugly for the White Sox uh, very quickly because it's, you know, Aloy Jimenez, uh, you got Luis Robert and Noah Mazzara. We are expecting that to be the starting uh, outfield for the White Sox on opening day. Uh, you still got Adam Engel, who I'm assuming will be the fourth outfielder for the White Sox because he is elite as far as defensively. Uh, and then you got Nicky Delmonico uh, as well for the White Sox in the mix. And then you have Luis Basabe, which Basabe, I would assume, Jim, is kind of in the same mix as Jimmy Lambert and 
Dane Dunning, someone that has been injured and missed most of 2019 season, try to ramp up and get more experience. Um, but I, I always paired Luis Masabe in the same situation as Mike Rodolfo, and we don't see Mike Rodolfo on the 44-man roster either. So I'm a bit surprised that Luis Masabe is that sixth outfielder and not someone that has more of a veteran experience like Daniel Polka. Well, I think, you know, with the outfielders too, you can bump Larry Garcia down there. He is listed as an infielder right now, I think, to hold off Nick Madrigal. Uh, should either Madrigal not be ready to take over second base duties, you know, for baseball reasons or health reasons. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But uh, so, but Garcia can ultimately bump, be bumped down there, I think, you know, given a week or two, assuming good health. So uh, he adds a little bit to that out, outfield depth. But I think with Basabe, you know, he's already in his second option year. So I think uh, the White Sox want to have a better idea of how to prepare for him or how to either how to prepare him or, uh, I guess, understand the range of outcomes for his last option year. You know, how aggressively to deploy him maybe in Charlotte uh, if he, you know, gets started there in 2021 if there is a normal minor league season, which we'll also get to. <laughs> Uh, so many, so many uh, teasers, but uh, <laughs> Adolfo uh, has uh, a fourth option because of all his injury issues. So the time isn't nearly as pressing for him. And I think Basabe has also experienced a little bit more success uh, than like say Blake Rutherford and Luis Gonzalez. So he just, I, I think he's a cut above, like barely above, like, you know, just, uh, you know, barely registers as his own tier. And, and in terms of like big picture, contributions and how he can ultimately help the White Sox 26-man roster in future seasons. I don't think there's really any distinction between him and those other outfielders, but I think for the time being, given the time pressures with him specifically, I'm guessing that's why he's involved here. Well, in the upcoming weeks, we'll rehash our previews that we put in all of that hard work back in February and March, but sticking to play on the field. And let's go to one of those uh, teasers that we just alluded to. What is the biggest non-coronavirus-related story for the White Sox during Spring Training 2.0, Jim? I would say, for me, um, I would say the big picture is how the pitching depth will sort itself out with the with the uh, major league rotation. Because right now, I think you know, early on in spring training, we're thinking, okay, well, you know, Michael Kopech needs time to ramp up. Dane Dunning won't be a factor. Carlos Rodon won't be a factor uh, because they're rehabbing. And so they have five starters. And if they need a sixth starter, are we going to have to go back to Ross Detweiler again? Uh, it was uh, a little bit sketchy and, and hoping that, uh, you know, Michael Kopech wouldn't need to be called up immediately and thrown in the fire because, you know, his long-term development is really uh, a priority here. But now that, you know, he's had, a, uh, you know, Kopech has had a couple months to, I assume, throw regularly on the side. And now you have Dane Dunning, who theoretically should have been pitching in June or early July for Birmingham or Charlotte. And same thing with uh, with, with Rodon. Uh, you have a lot of ways that Rick Renteria can mix and match the rotation to get through five days, whether it's giving each guy a day, whether it's like pairing Gio Gonzalez and Renato Lopez. So you have like a crafty curveballing lefty and a hard throwing righty you know, coming at the same lineup in one day. That could be kind of fun. Uh, just a lot of ways to mix and match. So assuming that all of these guys are able to contribute in some way, um, I'm fascinated to see how the innings are divided, especially with, you know, having pitchers still ramping up and maybe limited in innings early on. But also, even if they aren't limited, if you have seven pitchers who are, able to throw every five days and you have an expanded bullpen, uh, Renteria could have some fun. 
All right, so let's get to the teaser. Let's talk about Nick Magical because that's mine. And what's going to Yeah, be I didn't want to steal that for you. <laughs> so I was very considerate. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Jim. Uh, what's going to be happening at second base? Like Again, you know, in the intro, you know, the whole little tease, you know, the record scratch. Let's try this again. We're doing Spring Training 2.0. When we left off from Spring Training, we were having... I don't know if it was doubts, but it was clear that Nick Madrigal was not outperforming Lurie Garcia or Danny Mendek. I think that would be fair to say in mid-March, Jim, before coronavirus stopped baseball in its tracks, that it was really looking that Lurie Garcia was going to be the starting second baseman for the Chicago White Sox, just purely on performance that was going on in spring training. But that was months ago, and now this is a 60-game season, and if you really want Nick Madrigal to be the starting everyday second baseman for the White Sox going to 2021, he needs as many reps as possible in the majors. And I figure 60 games would be a good ramp up for him. So just have him be on the opening day roster for the 2020 season and then just run with it. But it sounds like that no... There is an opportunity for the White Sox to do some service time manipulation. And the amount of days that Nick Madrigal would not have to be on the roster uh, would be, it looks like six days. So if the White Sox hold Nick Madrigal back for a week, they can gain an extra year of service time with Nick Madrigal. And of course, I could already hear you. Uh, as far as the crowd that defends these types of decisions saying, oh, that's a really good idea. The White Sox should uh, just wait a week to call up Nick Madrigal. But Nick Madrigal is not playing games then for a week. He's just part of the taxi squad. It's just like intra-squad scrimmages. So I'm not exactly sure what kind of work that he's doing. And, And man, the Players Association would have a field day regarding good faith service time uh, workage as far as in the current CBA. And again, this is going to be one of the pressing topics for the next CBA uh, as the Players Association try to fix this issue. If they go with this route, Jim, man, that is sketchy. That might be one of the sketchiest things they have done. And they have done very sketchy things already when it comes to service time manipulation. Um, But I guess if they're going to be taking what they were learning in mid-March and apply it to here in spring training 2.0, I guess I could see the argument where the White Sox would say, no, we're running with Lurie Garcia. And even with a 30 man roster, Nick magical may not be part of that because we've got to carry extra pitcher pitchers to get to the first two weeks of the season. I could understand that explanation, but that's the only explanation that I will accept if Nick Madrigal is not on the 30-man day, 30-man roster gym on opening day. Yeah, this is going to be, I guess, new, and I'm, I'm trying not to jump to conclusions because there are legitimate reasons for Madrigal to not break camp uh, with the Sox. I mean, um, you know, you mentioned the performance thing, like this would be his first year where he's expected to be part of the major league roster. And if it doesn't click for him immediately, that shouldn't be held against him. You know, if he struggles a little bit or uh, has an injury that he has to uh, deal with, or just, you know, has to get acclimated to the pressure and where he is, or maybe his training was interrupted. Like there's no reason to force him on the roster if he's not quite there yet. Cause the white Sox do have time. Um, and, and you know, if he gets banged up, um, you know, there's no reason to put him on the roster immediately if he's not ready for it. I mean, that's, uh, that's a luxury the White Sox have, and they shouldn't promise him anything before, 
uh, you know, well in advance before they have to. Um, the question is here, like if he comes out, uh, you know, he looks clearly like the best second baseman. Um, and as you mentioned, there's nowhere else for him to play. I mean, like if you were, if they had a triple A season going on, you could send him down to Charlotte. Just, you can have him say like, well, he needs additional polish. We also like the way Larry Garcia looks. We want both to get every day at bats, um, and, and to have the best possible chance to get, uh, a good start to the short season. And then we'll bring up magical, um, you know, when we have a clear use for him, like I could kind of see that, but yeah, when there's no other place to go and there are additional roster spots, the white Sox can use, uh, that becomes a whole lot more difficult. So, um, it, it should be fascinating. I'll be also watching to see how other teams in similar positions deal with this because, uh, the White Sox probably won't be alone. And, uh, yeah, having those additional four roster spots where it's easy to, uh, you know, keep an additional infielder like magical, especially like say if Larry has, you know, fourth slash fifth outfield potential, or even Danny Mendick was getting some outfield reps. Um, you still might want him to be extra infield depth, but if they call it like somebody like Chesler Cuthbert mm-hmm. ahead of magical, I think that's where the white Sox can get in trouble and say like, what are you doing here? Right. And I, I could foresee that happening. And then if they do call him up after a week, I, if I'm Tony Clark, I'm writing that down <laughs> as far as my, yeah, there's, my talking points. Yeah, there's the no league. way they, they, there's no way for a, a player to distinguish himself in the time off. No, there's not. I mean, they can say like he looked good in intra squad scrimmages. He looked good at the alternative training site. But what does that mean? Exactly. And who is he hitting off of? Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's hitting off of Jared Kelly. Which, you know, Jared Kelly's got impressive stuff, but Jared Kelly's 18 years old, <laughs> you know? Like, he's not going... Madrigal's not facing the quadruple-A pitchers that he would have in triple-A. And even with the 30-man roster, you're still going to have this three-player three taxi squad that also travels with the team for road games. One has to be a catcher. Um, but they're they're not on the 30-man roster. And in case if somebody gets hurt, the White Sox can make a quick switch. You don't want Madrigal to be on that three-person taxi squad. You want Madrigal to play. And I don't foresee those three guys on that taxi squad getting any reps in. Uh, so you would be leaving Nick Madrigal back in Chicago to do what? I don't know. But I, for me, it boils down to if you're trying to use the 2020 season to understand and gain confidence that Nick Magical is your starting second baseman starting an opening day 2021 and for the next six to seven years, I, I think that he needs to play in 2020. But if you're going to try this service, mani- service time manipulation game and you're going to have him wait back a week, that doesn't sit right with me. It, it just doesn't. I, I think he needs every game possible. And that's 60 games in this season. And I think that's a good sample size. It's not a large sample size, Jim, but I think it's a good sample size to learn about Madrigal, his strengths, his weaknesses that he can take and try to further enhance his ability for the 2021 season and beyond. Yeah. And, you know, there's that point. I think, you know, I wouldn't underestimate Larry Garcia being a better uh, second base option at the start of a season when you're you're trying to get off to like a ten and three start in order right. to, to okay. shake up yeah. the division a little bit. So I can see that. Um, the one thing I also wonder about, and 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 what I wonder if it makes this discussion a little bit moot, is, is that uh, you know there could be a lot more injuries this year, or you know you have a ramp up period, you have games, or you have uh, teams are trying to stage some kind of game-like situation but aren't quite doing it or might not have the intensity because they're playing each other versus other teams or they're just trying to, uh, you know, I guess 
save themselves or ration their efforts for the course of a a, a 60 game sprint and you just might have some guys who aren't you know who don't physically respond well to that compressed uh, uh compromised schedule so i can see the situation where all of a sudden there are five injuries at the end of uh or at the end of uh spring training or summer camp and all of a sudden uh you know how are you gonna replace five or six guys you're gonna need to you know, call up Madrigal or maybe, you know, maybe it comes to the point where, you know, like Larry is hurt because he has an injury history and Mendick's hurt and Cuthbert's hurt and they somehow go around Madrigal. That'd be uh, awesome. But yeah, some teams just might not be able to manipulate service time or, or be able to just because there's just a shortage of bodies overall that can handle themselves in the major leagues. We had a Twitter poll, which you could follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And of course, follow us at Sox Machine. And the show poll for this episode was, will Nick Magical make the White Sox 30-man opening day roster? It's either yes or no. And 59% of those that took the poll answered yes. They expect Nick Magical to make the White Sox 30-man opening day roster. Jim, as we speak on July 1st, what does your stomach tell you right now? What does your gut say about Nick Magical making the opening day roster? I feel like that's a, a good number, like 59% yes, because I feel like if I had to bet, I would say yes, but I would have confidence in it um, just because of the injury thing or players opting out. I think uh, you know there are ways for Magical to get on the roster, even if... Uh, it goes against the White Sox service time inclinations just because there's just a shortage of guys who can play the position as well as he does and 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 fare as well as he could with his contact oriented approach. And the White Sox just might have to uh, because they can't field a roster any other way. So that's why I think uh, with the way this season is shaping that he might be able to luck into it, even if the White Sox try to resist. Yeah, I would go with yes. He's got three weeks to show whatever progress that he possibly could make staying at home uh, during the coronavirus to the White Sox to prove that in a 60-game season, he should be getting the starting nod to get as many playing reps as possible over Danny Mendick and Lurie Garcia, which, let's face it, we don't expect Garcia or Mendick to be the everyday starting second baseman for the White Sox moving forward into their contention window. That expectation is Nick Madrigal, but we'll see again. Three weeks is a long time and it's also a short time, short time in baseball. And it wasn't exactly like Nick Madrigal was outperforming Mendick and Garcia down in Glendale in late February and early March. So that'll be one of the big storylines along with how the White Sox stack up as far as their starting pitching and what strategies they use for their starting pitchers to for the 2020 season over the next three weeks. And we'll be watching those storylines very closely and the other stories that pop up during camp. But coming up after the break, we will be discussing the news of minor league baseball canceling the 2020 season next on the Sox Machine Podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. 
When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When you rely on the Internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. On June 30th, minor league baseball president Pat O'Connor held a press conference to announce the inevitable. Due to the coronavirus, the 2020 minor league baseball season was to be canceled as major league baseball couldn't commit the players and minor league teams gate revenue, tickets, concessions, and stadium sponsorships account for 85 to 90% of a team's revenue. Without fans in the stands, there's just really no way for minor league baseball to make enough money to turn a profit in 2020, and it just wasn't worth waiting any longer to see if a season could be played. O'Connor addressed the ways that minor league baseball is currently seeking government help to stay afloat. Overall, um, we are uh, in need of some help. We've gone to Congress. Uh, H.R. Bill 7023 is a lifeline loan program through the Federal Reserve. There'll be a companion bill in the Senate shortly. Uh, that is really very necessary to get us through. Uh, many of our clubs qualified for PPP money uh, that the Congress issued through uh, one of the first stimulus packages. Uh, that was a Band-Aid um, uh, on, a, on a hemorrhaging industry. Um, so we are, you know, um, uh, we're just treading water, you know, trying to, uh, trying to see our way through this. You know, we're looking at some cases 17 months with no revenue to speak of. Um, so it, it's really been a challenge. Uh, many of our clubs uh, have gone through one, two, maybe three rounds of furloughs uh, in our office here. Uh, we've had uh, uh, varying levels of pay cuts between senior management and staff, uh, and we furloughed uh, some individuals as well uh, and are just about to enter in a second round of furloughs. So it's extremely difficult for us to, to project um, because there is no end in sight in the immediate future. Uh, we, are, we are in dire straits, and, and I still have you know, grave concerns. Um, what happens every day doesn't alleviate any of my concerns. Uh, what does buoy me is the fact that Congress has been very supportive, uh, very active in trying to find a way uh, to provide us these lifeline loans. And I'm really proud of the fact our program that's in, in front of Congress is a loan program. Uh, it's not a bailout. It's not a grant. Uh, we just need a lifeline to get to the other side of what is a national crisis. With the league in dire straits, as O'Connor said, the immediate future looks bleak for minor league baseball if they cannot receive that government help. It's over half. It's north of half. There are very many teams that are not um, not liquid, not solvent, not able to proceed um, uh 
under normal circumstances. And these are anything but normal circumstances given the PBA and the uncertainty of the, the future for some of these ball clubs. Um, so I, I think the, the coronavirus has, has really cut into, you know, many club, many clubs ability, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to make it. And, and I think that we're looking at, um, you know, uh, without some government intervention, uh, without, you know, uh, doing something to take on equity partners, you know, you might be looking at uh, a half of the 160 who are going to have serious problems. Joining me again is Jim Margulis. And Jim, when hearing the president of minor league baseball, Pat O'Connor, say that the league is in dire straits and that maybe half of the teams would need to fold if they do not get government assistance, that's very disheartening. And it obviously has a great impact on the future of the sport itself. If Congress cannot pass the stimulus bill that would have this loan program that's not just for minor league baseball, it's for other sports leagues as well, uh, museums, uh, and also uh, community theaters, pretty much any public venue that is leased or rented as far as their facility, uh, the venue itself or the franchise doesn't make more than $35 million in the year 2019, uh, they could take out a 15-year loan valued up to $25 million. That's the stimulus bill. Uh, if they can't pass that, Jim, if they can't find the $1 billion to fund this, it sounds like minor league baseball is going to lose half their teams. How would this impact the White Sox moving forward? Well, I think the White Sox, by and large, are in a pretty good spot. I was reading some of the uh, responses and, and stories about all the, the full season affiliates, and they all seem they're heartbroken, devastated. It's obviously basically the worst possible uh, set of circumstances for any minor league team, and, and they're responding and reacting accordingly. But when it comes to the big picture, none of them seem terribly shaken. Like I was reading... Uh, an article in the Winston-Salem Journal about the Dash and, and the Dash's team president said that, uh, yeah, um, I'm not at liberty to discuss organizational finances, but it's obviously a tough year. We're going to need community support. And the good news is we've really felt that from our fans, our sponsors and our partners will survive. And, uh, you know, when you look at the, the, the stadium situations of each, especially with Kannapolis, you know, I, I feel terrible for Kannapolis just because they were supposed to unveil this, this brand new downtown ballpark and uh, just uh, yeah, a new team, new logo that was received really well and, and, and really popular even among non-Sox fans. And, and this was supposed to be their, their, their time to establish their own uh, you know, more permanent identity. And that had to take a year off. And so uh, you know, that's tough for them. But it seems like they're, you know, I don't think you open up a, a new minor league stadium if you don't have stability beyond uh, you know, one year. So it seems like the the four affiliates are more or less fine. I think, you know, my bigger concern with uh, how those four affiliates are is if there's any reorganization that somehow puts Kannapolis and Winston-Salem in the same league. Uh, that might be the one thing that forces the White Sox to uh, adjust what they've been doing just because uh, I think they like their setup. I think they like, you know, not just because of geographically with all the teams being so close together, but also they have really nice facilities and, and really good uh, uh, stable staffs and presences and uh, I think they just like the entire setup that they have and they should be good for years to come. And I think, you know, this stability uh, should show over the course of this whole minor league reorganization and upheaval. Uh, I think the Great Falls Voyagers are the only Sox affiliate that are just in a uh, bad situation just because they were already in the 
crosshairs of the uh, contraction just because they're a short season team and you know, relatively the middle of nowhere that uh, would be cut out of the map uh, that other leagues can't really travel to. And uh, you know, the stadium isn't great. You know, it's not a, a brand new, you know, uh, shining jewel that's uh, going to be, uh, you know, other teams are going to want that stadium, even if the White Sox vacate it. Uh, it's just that that's going to be one of the tough situations and, and you know, a number of tragic stories around baseball is these teams that, you know, serve a community that have nice uh, operations that, that haven't done anything wrong, but just end up on the wrong side of this contraction just because of geography or economics or other teams or, or leagues economics. And uh, there's just nowhere for them to go. And I think so great falls, you know, when we've seen with the white Sox, the way they, uh, all their minor league releases generally um, targeted players on the great falls tier and they didn't really go uh, all out in signing players after the draft just because a lot of those players who are day three draft picks usually end up in Great Falls. And I think they're just preparing for that level of roster to not be there. And uh, it's unfortunate for Great Falls. It's unfortunate for you know, us, you know, for for people who like following the Meyer Leagues and like having one more roster to follow and, and one more level for players to go through. And, and I think that's, you know, unless there's a reorganization that somehow makes it impossible for the White Sox to carry both Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, I think that's really where uh, the impact is going to be felt as far as the White Sox are concerned. I, I just really worry about the future of the sport. If you go from 160 minor league teams in 2019 down to like 80 or 90 heading to the 2021 season, Jim, it, let's say it's 90, right? Even if this government loan program becomes available, it doesn't sound like every team is that's going to be good enough for them, that some teams will just have to fold or they're going to have to find other sellers. There's been talk about Major League Baseball wanting to reduce the amount of levels, and I think the unfortunate circumstances for Minor League Baseball and the financial impact of the coronavirus now suddenly opens up this window for Major League Baseball to tell Minor League Baseball, listen, we're only carrying three levels. We're carrying A-ball, we're carrying double-A, and we're carrying triple-A. And then complex affiliates after that for the teenagers and such. Exactly. Everyone else is going to be in our spring training facilities in Arizona and Tampa Bay, and we'll create our own little, you know, league. So we are, our complex teams can play against each other and continue to gain experience in that type of scenario. And Pat O'Connor even said on the press conference, expect realignment in 2021 for a team like the White Sox that does have four strong affiliates. They probably should start preparing on losing one in which a Winston-Salem now becomes an International League AAA affiliate, right? Because it's so close to Durham and it's close to Charlotte. I could see that happening. Uh, Kannapolis might still stay at A-Ball because even with the new stadium, it, it doesn't maybe have the accommodations to be a AAA facility. I remember my conversation with Jonathan Nelson, the GM and president of the Birmingham Barons when I visited Birmingham, that there wasn't really much interest in the Barons becoming a triple-A team, but they may be asked to to make that bump up to triple-A. Because of that, the White Sox can't have two triple-A teams, right? So they may be losing one of these strong affiliates because another team maybe is in really hot water where their minor league affiliates are in not good shape, Jim. So that, that's kind of where I'm feeling right now is that if there is going to be realignment, 
Uh, and this does definitely open up the door for Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball to really reduce the amount of levels in the minor leagues. That I could I could foresee the White Sox having to lose one of their affiliates because another team needs that facility uh, to to make up their losses of the affiliates that had to fold. Yeah, I think uh, you know mentioned Birmingham. I think you know they're so closely associated with the Southern League that it's it's hard to imagine them playing anywhere else. It seems like they're you know the Southern League has a rich history. Barons have a, a very rich history. And so I imagine that they would resist it. And I don't know if baseball would have uh, realignment for them in mind. I think there are other options to go with. Uh, but yeah, just it's going to be, you know, part of, you know, part of the thing that makes the discussion about minor league realignment so tricky is that, you know, probably every generation or so, it is worth reevaluating, you know, where minor league teams are, where populations have shifted. Like it's weird that the Pacific Northwest uh, only has like short season A ball. You know, up there. It seems like they should have more, you know, given where the population has gone in Oregon and Washington and, and, and California, that seems like you should be able to have more full season affiliates out there. And and so, you know, to have some of those teams move from, say, like the Carolinas over there makes some sense in order to have teams travel together. Same thing with, uh, you know, having, um, you know, some teams move east or south, you know, just based on where populations have gone. And, and so it's unfortunate for, you know, maybe some clubs in the you know, Appalachians or, the you know, upper Midwest or, or what have you, but you know, it probably based on, you know, business trends and everything like that, it's it baseball owes it to itself to at least follow where populations have gone and see if you can create fixtures in new places that are only going to be growing, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but then, you know, then you have this, you know, economic double whammy of wanting contraction and also coronavirus providing legitimate excuses for that contraction uh, that uh, just make it hard to avoid. I think the one maybe silver lining from this is that it should be a boon for some of the independent leagues. Like I think like a team like the Chicago dogs where they have, uh, you know, a, a you know, pretty good stadium situation and they have, uh, you know, a, a unique, I guess, uh, setting in terms of both where they are as an independent league, where they are and next to a major market, there are some, you know, living advantages there. And, uh, you know, they have some stable partners to where uh, maybe they become more of an attraction for legitimate talent that just can't catch a break in a, in a compromised or uh, uh, condensed Meyer league. And so maybe you'll see the, some independent leagues uh, grow because a ball has disappeared or short season balls disappeared. And uh, that could be good. That could be just a way for baseball to heal itself in a way and just uh, uh, kind of reorganize on its own uh, you know, to meet demand where baseball isn't. But I think it's just tough to place a team like Great Falls, which has relied on the affiliate system, has benefited from it. But also their entire organization is based around being an affiliate and having an organization above them provide them talent suddenly say like, okay, you're on your own. Try to lure people to Great Falls. Good right. luck. You know, that, that's really unfair and unfortunate for that, uh, you know, people who work there, the ownership group. And that's tough. And and uh, and that's going to be where the, the, the absence really felt. You hope that other teams and organizations and leagues can make up for it, but it does put the teams and, and leagues in a tight spot for like the next two to three years, especially like say if, uh, coronavirus concerns bleed in 2021 and teams aren't able to fill stands the way they do, like say Charlotte, for example, uh, they count on filling the house. If they can only do half capacity uh, or have to rope some sections off, that could be, you know, 
uh, a case where their business model suffers for, you know, two years instead of one. Right. And do they qualify to get a loan? Did the Charlotte Knights make more than $35 million last year? I don't know. And I don't know how many of the 160 minor league teams currently would qualify for this government loan. Uh, We'll find out. Uh, But it's not a good situation for minor league baseball. And the agreement with minor league baseball and major league baseball expires at the end of September. And I, you know, minor league baseball had some good leverage Uh, in 2018 and 2019. They had, you know, record revenues, record attendance going to minor league games. There's been some significant interest in minor league baseball uh, but after the 2020 season and the financial stress for some of these pro, you know, these teams and these affiliates, again, may just open the door for Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball to eliminate some levels of minor league baseball. And if I had to make a guess, Jim, I, I think my guess would be is that we may only see three levels of affiliate baseball uh, for the minors which it's A ball, double A and triple A. And of course that has all sorts of impact. There'll be more releases of players in the minor leagues because the White Sox wouldn't need them and the other 29 teams as well. And we'll see more players hunkering down in Glendale at the complexes before they start making their way uh, to A ball. And of course that has great impact on the major league baseball draft because you probably don't even need 20 rounds. You may only need 10 rounds as Jim Callis our our good friend of the show uh, mentioned on the previous episode uh, that the 2021 draft may have another cut and that'll only be 10 rounds instead of the plan 20 rounds if you don't need to fill up three affiliates of, of rosters. So it's got great impact and it was definitely not a rosy or positive press conference, but definitely keep an eye on the state of minor league baseball and to see if they can get help from the government uh, for that loan program. And, and hopefully and hopefully that loan program does help out those minor league teams, they could stay afloat to 2021 because the arrow is really pointing up Jim for minor league baseball in these last couple of years. And, you know, from a white Sox perspective, when your team is rebuilding, you pay more attention to the minor leagues. We certainly did. Uh, Our friends over at future Sox obviously always do great work. Uh, But now it just takes one global pandemic. And for a business that relies 85 to 90% of its revenue for people to be in the seats, it could just change so quickly for them. And the outcome doesn't look all that great. Yeah. And it's, it's terrible for fans too, especially like in, in places where they don't have major league baseball anywhere close. And also like, you know, moving to Nashville where they have the triple a sounds, um, I was looking forward to being in a AAA city. Like, you know, Nashville has some plans to, uh, you know, I guess they have an ex- a major league expansion uh, committee that, you know, uh, is trying to make itself known to Major League Baseball if they want to expand Nashville as a potential market. But I was looking forward to just having a, tri- a good AAA team uh, with a nice stadium downtown where I could just, uh, you know, make a decision on Tuesday afternoon to go to a game Tuesday night and park close and get in for cheap and, you know, have a beer or two and just enjoy a game. And uh, I, I think, you know, when you go to Charlotte or you go to Birmingham, I haven't been to Birmingham, but uh, you've mentioned Birmingham, but just having a, a good high quality triple A or double A team in your town with a nice place to go, nice place to sit. Um, it, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, benefits so many cities and, and, uh, and, and baseball fans, I think gravitate. I think it's a kind of baseball, kind of baseball experience that fans want that, uh, 
you know, Major League Baseball can't serve because Major League Baseball is big and important and expensive. And I think uh, Minor League Baseball is just kind of the laid back environment that a lot of fans appreciate on its own merits. We'll see what happens with the future of Minor League Baseball, but you guys had questions for us, which we will answer next in P.O. Socks. Spring is calling and Target's ready with deals for your outdoor space. Grab miracle Grow Potting Mix on sale at two for $8. Plus get 20% off planters and more. Find spring's best outdoor buys at Target, where low prices and great deals make it easy to save. Restrictions apply. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting at us at Sox Machine or helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And our Patreon supporters provided the questions this week. And Jim, our first question comes from Michael. And Michael is asking, do you believe any moves should be made to address the White Sox outfield depth? Uh, I mean, not really just because, uh, yeah, I think, you know, as we mentioned that they have six outfielders, it's a little bit sketchy. And also, you know, you have Larry Garcia, assuming he can bounce the outfield once Nick Madrigal is called up for once and for all, you have seven outfielders, but I think the way the White Sox outfield is set up is that all the guys who are starting, which is, you know, left to right, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Nomar Mazzara, they all need to play as much as possible, as much as health will allow and uh, the conditions will allow. So when it comes to outfield depth, it's not all that crucial to have extra bodies come in, uh, you know, aside from the ones they already have. And I'm thinking like, you know, when we talked about, you know, Nicky Delmonico, he's somebody who can come in. Adam Engel can come in and provide, you know, above average offense. None of them are, you know, ideal. We've seen these shortfalls with them count upon as starters. They're also guys like, you know, we might see Daniel Palka and the additional uh, alternative training site arrangement. Uh, looking at the non-roster invitees, there's also Jacob Brugman, uh, who was uh, part of the NRI list and might be, you know, part of that additional 16 names. And I think, uh, you know, if the White Sox have to dip down to them, it's already not a great situation. And, uh It'll be more about getting through the 60 games than having big plans that keep them in the mix. But uh, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, all these guys are healthy. Um, but if they are, then uh, that's one case where, like Nomar Mazzara, like I wrote about it you know, in the long, long ago, that, uh, you know, having the shortened season, having, you know, whatever, you know, missing April and May, he's a guy who, you know, because he only has two years of control that April and May are going to be, you know, crucial for him just to be able to, you know, be allowed to struggle and be allowed to, you know, have a rough start and hopefully make some adjustments that, you know, carry him through the bulk of the year. But now that bulk of the year is gone, he kind of has to perform now in order to be a fixture and be somebody who's viewed as a right field solution for 2021. So, uh, I don't think you want many guys to get in the way. And I think you want guys in the roster who are fine, just, uh, taking a back seat to those guys. 
And so when you look at the list, that's basically how the uh, the outfield is arranged. And, you know, that's not necessarily great because Roberts had a history of uh, health issues and Jimenez has been banged up and even Mazzara's had some issues lately. So it could be a case where you have some injuries, but I'm not sure who is going to be available that really changes the makeup of the outfield all that much. I think if, uh, you know, Robert and Jimenez miss any amount of time, then the team is doomed anyway. And also, you know, Robert, you know, not being, you know, not having played in the majors at all. Uh, it could be the case where, you know, his aggressiveness at the plate, his aggressiveness on the base paths is uh, used against him a little bit. He has a, a rough 60 games and the White Sox have to prepare for that. They have to uh, just count on him, you know, be, the reps being the most important thing, the production being uh, kind of uh, relevant <laughs> uh, for the time being. And if he bats 205 and has an on-base percentage of 270 and you know, hits the occasional homer but doesn't do much else, uh, the White Sox have to be prepared to live with that. And so I think when you look at the way their outfield is arranged, that's kind of how they're going about it. Reps above everything else and uh, cross your fingers that they produce in a way that counts. Michael, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from David. And David is asking, what possible feat in a 60-game season do you think most deserves an asterisk if achieved? Hitting 400 or an insanely low ERA? I think, you know, uh, Dan Simborski just wrote about this, a uh, friend of the show, uh, as you say, best friend of the show. He wrote about this for Fangraphs, talking about uh, ERA in particular and how the odds improve from beating Bob Gibson's 1.12 ERA record from uh, yeah, basically there is a chance of one out of 940 players would get it. Uh, you yeah, would be able to, uh, you know, somehow turn in a season closer than that. Now it's closer to like 0.29 players, uh, you know, over a 60 game sample or 60 game innings sample. Uh, so that's probably the one that's most warrants a, an ERA, uh, or an asterisk just because ERA can be gamed by innings. Like if, uh, you know, the way workloads are managed, if uh, a starter averages only five innings and he throws five innings of one-run ball and alternates that with five innings of a shutout ball every once in a while and then turns over the bullpen, you could have a lot of guys with ERAs who start with one and uh, just don't have, uh, you know, there's no necessity to push them any further because there aren't 102 extra games where you need some, you know, some of the better pitchers to shoulder more innings. So that's probably warrants it the most. But 400, I think, is also a case where, yeah, just uh, um, you, know, you have some guys like Ichiro, for example, hit 400 over a 162-game sample that was divided over years. Same thing with Tony Gwynn and George Brett Rod Carew, other guys who have done that. Now, I think if you cut that in, you know, basically you know, remove 100 games from that, and 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 have it less be less than half a season, and more guys can be able to do that, especially if. Their playing time is managed a little bit. If they face more righties or lefties based on their matchup preferences uh, than uh, uh, a sample would normally allow. So, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a weird year for a lot of uh, a lot of teams, a lot of players. Uh, and you know, the good news is, you know, baseball fans have experience dealing with it. I know the asterisk was most famously associated with the uh, Roger Maris home run record, and I have some some steroid stuff as well, but. When it comes to uh, negotiating these uh, weird extenuating circumstances, uh, baseball fans have experience with it, whether it's the steroid era or Coors Field or, um, you know, 1968, the year of the pitcher with uh, raised pitching mounds. We all have a way of talking around it, just saying, well, it's the 
it's the clean record. It's, you know, even if, if that's kind of sketchy to talk about that, it's like, it's a clean record or it's, uh, you know, the, well, that was a crazy year for pitchers or that was a crazy year for hitters or that's when expansion mm-hmm. happened and, and thin the talent pool. We have a way of talking around it. I imagine this will be the same way, even if asterisks uh, aren't, you know, officially deployed by Major League Baseball or Baseball Reference or anybody else. I think uh, everybody, the, the scars of this year are, are, are worn by everybody. It's not just a baseball thing or a sports thing. It's everybody. We've all felt the effects of uh, COVID-19 and the shutdowns and the stoppages. And uh, so I think when we look at uh, baseball reference 15, 20 years from now and see a, a weird 400 and you know, somebody batting 407 in 2020, we'll say, oh, we know how that happened. If there was a pitcher, if you had to nominate a pitcher to break Bob Gibson's ERA single season record in 2020. Who do you think would be best? Who has the best chance of doing that? Oh, I would have said Chris Sale before his injury, just because he's somebody who started hot and then, uh, ended up uh, wearing down over the course of the year. But he would be best equipped for a 60 game sprint. But probably somebody like uh, you know whether it's Degrom, I would say. Oh, well, now the National League has DH, but maybe National League is still a bit weaker for hitters because uh, or offenses because they don't have a DH that's programmed for that spot. I would still look National League, whether it's Scherzer, DeGrom, you know, one of the elites on that side. Yeah, the first name that I thought of was Smack Scherzer, but I'd like the Jacob DeGrom nomination as well. I, I, I don't see it in the American League, but I don't see anyone having an ERA that low. A sub-2 ERA, I could definitely see, uh, both as far as the American League. Maybe Garrett Cole gets a sub-2 ERA, Uh and then back to DeGrom and Scherzer, maybe even some like Walker Bueller of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Charlie Morton, maybe the Charlie Rays, Morton. you know, with the way they are used already to uh, patching together rotations week to week that I can see them uh, being able to uh, finesse some low ERAs out of guys uh, who might not be on the name level of a Scherzer, but can get there. I could also see the flip side. I could see some ridiculous ERAs that remind me of the, 1999 Chicago White Sox starting rotation where some teams may just have guys who have five plus ERAs on their starting yeah. rotation. Uh, nobody's got some uh, below a five ERA for their starting rotation. I'm looking at you, Baltimore. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm going back to the Rays. What if Dylan Covey is one of those guys who has a sub two ERA just because the Rays know how to finesse them over the course of a 60 game season? Well, although, although I should say, you know, now I'm thinking about Kobe, I just threw that out just, but now you know, he might be an at risk player. So he's somebody who might have to opt out. Oh, that's yeah. right. With the diabetes, right? Yeah. So yeah, maybe that, that was tongue in cheek, but now realizing, oh, maybe it's not the best name to throw out. But yeah. well, I mean, if he does decide to play, it is most certainly a possibility. So we could see a lot of weird things where, yeah, if you want to put an asterisk on someone hitting 400, sure. But if, you know, Cody Bellinger hits 170. You'll want to put an asterisk on that as well because we know that he's a lot better than a 170 hitter. It, the stats are going to be completely 
weird in 2020. And I'm glad you mentioned that 10 to 15 years from now, when we go to baseballreference.com, Jim, it's just going to be kind of fun to review what happens in 2020. But David, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Andrew Siegel. And Andrew's asking, how do you think the logistics of holding spring training will work inside a ballpark? I get that you can use the bullpen, bullpen mounds, and that means all four catchers are being used every single day. And when it rains, then what will the teams do? Well, uh, Roger Bossert has been working on modifying uh, guaranteed rate field. They now have bullpens down the lines. They've expanded the dirt. They've added some mounds, so they'll have two more mounds on uh, down the lines. And so that makes it possible for, uh, doing the math, eight pitchers to throw at once uh, on the field. And then you'll have, uh, you know, I think uh, he's also, they're also looking underneath the seats, you know, in the tunnels, down the lines uh, to add cages and, and other indoor mounds and probably pitch lab type stuff to get through. And, and I imagine, you know, when you look at, uh, you walk around guaranteed rate field, you'll probably have equipment where you never expected to have equipment before um, just to get guys to be able to work out, do, um, you know, whether it's throwing, hitting, doing stuff like cardio or weightlifting. I imagine they're spacing stuff out. You'll have maybe two training rooms to work with uh, instead of one because they can space out to the other clubhouse and, and their facilities um, but, uh, when it comes to, like on field stuff, like you mentioned the weather, uh, that could be one thing that differentiates some areas from others. If they have an indoor stadium or whether they have, uh, um, you know, just they're in more stable weather, like the California teams to where, you know, maybe one bad week of rainstorms and, uh, uh, you know, some kind of tropical depression type stuff, uh, makes it really hard to, practice and, and, and have simulated games or, or play each other or play their, you know, inter-squad scrimmages. Or I know the Yankees are talking about like playing the Red Sox, you know, maybe if it's safe to travel in the Northeast from city to city to just be able to play other teams and have uh, other talent that you're not so familiar with to bat against and pitch against. Um, I could see the White Sox and Cubs trying to do that if it's safe. Um, but, you know, maybe if weather doesn't allow uh, some areas of the country to do that, then you could have some teams have an advantage. Um, that's going to be one way that this plays out that I think, uh, we won't quite know. And also I wonder, you know, should say there are surprisingly few adverse effects to this short of a spring training or, um, this limited of a spring training where you have to kind of do your work on the side and have to, uh, you know, pitchers have to work on, on pitch labs and, and, and hitters, uh, you know, have to bat off machines or against, uh, their own pitchers and such. And if the product comes out looking normal-ish, if there are a few outlier um, uh, performances by proven talent, if this will change the way teams approach spring training in future seasons. Like, I, I can't see this being the case where, oh, we're doing this all wrong. Or, or pitchers don't need to, uh, pitchers can build up on the side and they don't have to face anybody until the uh, uh, last two weeks of spring training. And what, are we been, what have we been doing this whole time? Maybe we've been... Uh, exposing guys to injury risk. I can see it working both ways, or at least uh, popping up in ways we don't expect. So that's one thing I'm going to be kind of fascinated by following the White Sox and also following the other teams to see if there's anything that comes out of this that changes the way that teams prepare in what could be, you know, partially compromised 2021 situation where there are still limits on how teams gather and how uh, fans gather to where, you know, they might have to take some things they learned from this year and apply it to next year. I could also see the case where, just teams learn that, uh, you know, because they've been forced to break some habits and break some ways they previously congregated that, uh, 
they might learn some things about how to better optimize uh, the way they go about preparing for a full season. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your question. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned as far as Roger Bossard, who says that, you know, a good groundskeeper is worth two to four wins, Jim. So I, I'm I'm yeah. glad that he mentioned that because the 2018 <laughs> White Sox could have been a 102 to 104 loss team uh, instead of the well, yeah, year that they had. Yeah, yeah, it was funny because like either that's uh, uh, that can be spun as to be an insult to him or an insult to Rick Hahn. <laughs> Because that's seven losing seasons in a row, and if they have the best groundskeeper in the game, and and they and he doesn't make use of that advantage, then uh, then what's going on? Yeah, Roger Bosser would have been a top five White Sox player in in 2018. <laughs> or yeah, or he's just not that good. <laughs> maybe the White Sox should look elsewhere because uh, Bosser's been. Yeah, maybe they could have broke uh, uh, 500 one of these seasons if they they missed out on a four game swing or an eight game swing. Yeah, absolutely. Because they were complacent with their groundskeeping crew. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's just something like, uh, I would, I, yeah, maybe that's a line I wouldn't use too much. <laughs> no. Because if you think about it, it's just like, it's, it doesn't reflect well on a team that's missed the postseason this many years in a row. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You may want to keep the grass a little higher to, you know, to slow down the ball a little bit uh, for the infielders to reduce errors or, I guess, you you can cut it really short and it'll help out with the White Sox uh, bab ups, uh, especially on grounders. And uh, maybe he's influencing that, but it's not two to four wins. Uh, I just thought that was kind of a funny comment by Roger Boster. But anyways, Andrew, thank you so much for your question, and thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for PO Sox. Again, if you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine, and you can help support the site and the show at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Again, thank you guys so much for your support. It makes a huge difference for us as far as covering the White Sox and getting us ramped up for the 2020 season, uh, which we, we will be doing as far as on the podcast. And on next week's episode, we are hoping we are hoping that the 2020 schedule will be released. We'll break that down and then kind of track to see as far as how the White Sox could project into 2020. So that'll be something to look ahead to. I know we've been recording the podcast as far as on Wednesdays. We will be doing that again. So the next Sox Machine podcast is going to be released on July 8th. That's a Wednesday. And then we'll switch back to Mondays uh, with the upcoming 4th of July weekend. And we hope that you have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. I know for many of us in Chicago, we can go out and about. For others like Jim, there's not much to do this weekend. (laughs) Oh, there is, but uh, not wise to do. Yeah, not wise to do. Right. So, again, uh, stay safe and take care of yourself for this upcoming 4th of July weekend. And we will be back uh, as far as next Wednesday, July 8th, with a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. But that will do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. 
Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.